Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Track and Storm podcast. And yes, I know that you guys are desperately missing Matt's intros this week. I do sincerely apologize. But it has just been a weird week for us. Um, I was actually up in the mountains, and I, we had planned on getting together and recording, but the connection up there was terrible, so that didn't really work out. You know, it's, getting, it's gotten so late in the week now that we just figured we'd go ahead and put out this interview for this week. And then we'll get into the actual Hurricanes news that we actually did have this week, you know, with the Max Lejoie signing, as well as the reported from a check outlet re-signing a restricted free agent, Martin Natchez. So that's something I'm sure we'll get into a lot in the next, well, next couple of days, probably. I mean, it's Saturday as I'm sitting here recording this little intro, trying to get this out by tomorrow morning. Um... We will, I'm sure we'll meet again in the next couple of days to talk about those things and lots more. But for this week, we were really excited to bring on the broadcaster for the Chicago Wolves, Jason Shaver. We really enjoyed talking to him a little while back mid-season, and we said we were going to bring him on if and when the Chicago Wolves won the Calder Cup. And of course, they won the Calder Cup. Uh, And again, I was not present for this, so it is just Matt's interview. Talked about a lot of fun stuff, a lot of what you can expect out of some of the young players that were on the Chicago Wolves this year moving forward, and what that team's going to look like next year, as they have had a lot of turnover this offseason with a lot of their key guys moving on. So we're going to jump right into that, but first, Tracking the Storm is a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network, so we're going to take just a quick minute and get a word from DraftKings. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with the same game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes wherever you catch our podcast for important details. All right, well, without any further ado, we will go ahead and jump into Matt's interview with Chicago Wolves broadcaster Jason Shaver. Huge shout out to Jason for coming on the podcast again. And thank you guys for listening. As always, we love you. And folks, we are here with Chicago Wolves 
play-by-play announcer and Calder Cup champion, Jason Shaver. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Matt. Great to be back on with you. And it was fun to watch this Wolves team win a championship, that's for sure. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we're, we're sitting here, and I remember last time we said, you know, we'll definitely talk to you after the Wolves win the Calder Cup. Here we are fulfilling promises on this podcast, you know. <laughs> I like it. You're a man of your word. Yeah, jury's still out on, you know, the predicting the future thing, but we'll we'll get back to the folks on that. But so yeah. obviously they played a pretty tough team against Springfield, a team that had guys like Mackenzie McEaker and even like James Neal, a seasoned veteran at this point. So what were the biggest reasons for the Wolves' success against that Springfield team? The Wolves really dominated the finals. And to be honest, I'd go back uh, a series to Stockton that was probably the toughest test uh, that the Wolves faced. We had heard talking with pro scouts all season long how good Stockton was, but we did not see uh, the Stockton heat. So everything uh, going into that series was a a little bit of an unknown. And once they got through that, you look at the roster of Springfield, really good. But I think what happened to – Springfield is what happened to the Wolves when they played the Charlotte Checkers in 2019. The Wolves won game one on the road in 2019. And you're like, maybe Charlotte is as good as everyone said. Uh, And the Wolves certainly had chances to win games two, three, and and four against the Checkers, not so much in, in game number five when they won it. And I think maybe the same thing happened to Springfield. The Wolves lost game one in overtime. And I think Springfield maybe got a little bit of a a false sense and it really riled up the Wolves. Uh, They, they came back and and ended up winning the next four games. I don't know that anyone thought they were going to win four straight, but it just, they were such a superior team and they had come together. They'd gotten through what I think everyone thought was going to be the toughest test in Stockton. And then when they lost game number one, I think they were, a little bit mad and never took their foot off the gas the rest of the way. So I think that's what really stood up is their talent then had to work because they were down one game to nothing and they just never gave Springfield life from there on out. And it's, it's really interesting to see too, because, you know, during that Stockton series, um, Pyotr Kochekov had arguably his worst start as a Mm -hmm. pro I remember him being pretty directly responsible for all, if not most of the goals in that game. And so he then comes back, he gets the shutout in what ends up being, you know, the game deciding or the series deciding game, and then goes on to have just an absolutely stellar three game stretch right after the Wolves lose game one in the final. It's, you know, obviously it wasn't just him, but getting that level of goaltending clearly shows that goaltending can help win the championship. Absolutely. And it was such a, an interesting, and I'm sure in the coaches room dealing with Carolina hurricanes management, wolves management, it was probably a a pretty good back and forth conversation of what goaltender to go with when you had Alex line, get you through the first two series and Peter was with the hurricanes and actually playing in the Stanley cup playoffs and coming back. And I think, uh, for Hurricanes fans, we learned a lot about Peter Kochekov in, in the postseason. He looked at times very tired, 
And I would say that game uh, that didn't go his way against Stockton, he didn't look very good. But then kind of all pressure was on him in game number six. And for a goaltender that played meaningful hockey for almost a full calendar year, the game that he put in game six against a Stockton team to shut them out, I, I think just proved that not only he comes in with a little bit of swagger and he's a great guy just to look and watch a little bit because he can't really talk with them, but he's got that smile. He's got that charisma in the locker room. And he had that, that one game that didn't go his way and then got that next start and, and did what he did. I think that says a lot about the future of Peter Kochekov and probably why we saw a mass exodus of other Hurricanes goaltenders this offseason because I have to feel that the organization is very high in him now. Yeah, every other goalie left. It's yeah, kind of, it's it's kind of funny to think thing. about. I, yeah, I've never seen that. Um, I mean, I was expecting them to at least maybe consider keeping one of Wells or LaFontaine as like a number three, but no, uh, the Hurricanes decided they went out and signed Zach Sachenko, and that was it. Yeah, and it, it's crazy. And then the Wolves have signed this Cal uh, Morris for last year. Uh, last year was in Rockford in the ECHL, so I. I I mean, just looking at the goaltending numbers, it looks like it is Pitor's crease uh, if yeah. he is in Chicago. And I, I do like the point that you made that he played hockey for almost a full calendar year because, I mean, it's so true. People don't really realize this, but the KHL season starts September 1st. So well, bare minimum, he's camp. starting first season or first week of September, and that doesn't count, you know, probably like I think you were about to say going to camp right before then. Yeah, he was in camp in July, I believe the end of June. It was coming up on a full calendar year. And then think, playing in the KHL, all the travel, most of those ranks are going to be new to him. Then he comes over to North America. He's playing in the AHL, all new ranks again, different style of hockey. Then he goes to the NHL. He's playing in Madison Square Garden in the playoffs. I mean, talk about high-pressure hockey and having to adjust through so much and then coming back to the Wolves and joining a team that was rolling and having to continue that trend. Uh, <laughs> the future is bright for him. And, uh, you know, I, I thought a lot of McEnany, who was uh, banged up and injured, and I think, you know, the Hurricanes had two goaltenders the same age, and they were able to go out and get a quality player and play from strength, using one of their prospects to bring in Brett Burns. And uh, because McAnamie's injury, we forgot how good he was. But I think Peter made that a very easy trade uh, for the Hurricanes to go out and get a get an All Star defenseman. I know it's it. It honestly seems like McAnamie's injury felt like forever ago. Um, yeah, because there so much happened between that point, especially with the Wolves. I mean, you you had. Jack LaFontaine signing in the middle of his college season, which you never see nope. playing NHL games, not looking great. And then getting sent down to sh- Chicago looking like he's going to be the backup, maybe getting some games along with, you know, Dylan Wells or Beck warm. And then you get Piotr coming in earlier than anybody expected. And then it's his crease. Yeah. Um, going back to the wolves in that series. I mean, Obviously, Josh Levo ended up being the MVP of the playoffs. Um, can we sort of speak to the, I don't want to call them Wiley veterans, you know, but the guys like Stefan Nason, 
Andrew Podorowski, you know, Josh Levo, the guys that led the team this year and how, how much of a leadership role they had to take in that series. Yeah, the Wolves locker room was really great from the onset of the season, and that goes to the leadership. Andrew is a, maybe a little bit more of the quiet guy, but a guy that would make sure, you know, after a couple games on the road and there's a flight the next day that everyone went out and went to a place where everyone could feel comfortable and hang out. He created that kind of team environment, very inclusive with everyone. And then you had Stefan Nason, who, you know, was a little bit more fiery at times and <laughs> wasn't afraid to, to say things or, or voice his opinion, which you, you need that as well. Uh, so it was a good one, two punch and Josh Levo. I mean, he was a guy that showed up and worked every day. And he, no one, and I think probably the last time I was talking with, with you guys, no one expected Josh Lieber to be with the Chicago Wolves last year. He had a house and two kids living in Raleigh, and he came down and he didn't pout. He was a great mentor for Jack Drury to have. You know, when you talk about development, that's what these veterans are able to do. So instead of Jack Drury skating on a line with David Cotton and Jamison Reese for the full season, two other players trying to figure out the American Hockey League. You've got Josh Lebo there, and that made Jack Dury such a great centerman and such a great line to back up the Nason, Podorowski, and Panik line. So the leadership kind of led the way, but it allowed the prospects to thrive as well because they weren't having to do all the heavy lifting. Oh, and you, you mentioned Richard Panik. I, I totally forgot about him. I mean, I think you you mentioned on the broadcast and game five how he had scored in I think ten straight Calder Cup final games. Yes, just an absurdly clutch player that truly was a difference maker, especially in those last two rounds of the playoffs. Well, and it's so so funny that you say the last two rounds. So it, just a little inside baseball here. So he he comes over from the New York Islanders. He had been assigned to Bridgeport. He's making $3.2 million, according to Cap Friendly. And he's got a year left on his deal. And he gets assigned to a really good hockey team. A week earlier, his family, three daughters, under the age of four, and wife had gone back to Slovakia. And he's got a pulled groin. And so he comes in. He gets through the regular season. And I would say the first two rounds are the toughest rounds in the American Hockey League because you've got distractions. Like, let's go home. You know, the, the, the playoff bonus in the AHL is nothing like a Stanley Cup bonus. The guy's already made all this money. He's only been in Chicago for a year. But to your point, he scored in every game the last two rounds, and he was a difference maker. And he bought in. Uh, going back to the leadership, he, he, you know, they, they made him a part of this team, and no one – has had as much success on the ice as Richard Ponick. I mean, this is a guy that played in the Olympics, World Championships, and and that goes a long way as well. And, uh, you know, a, a great guy for those young guys to look up. They all want to have 10-year NHL careers and play 500-plus NHL games. Right, and people, you know, I remember when that trade went down, people were like, why are they acquiring this guy? He stinks. And I'm like, he may not have been great at the NHL level, but, I mean, just – look at the career he's had even if he doesn't play this is just a great veteran to have in your room and come to find out he's probably one of the key pieces in those later rounds that gets Chicago over the hump yeah into the Calder it, Cup. yeah if 
Richard Pontiac does not show up those last two rounds. I, I don't know if the Wolves get through Stockton uh, because it was such a tight checking, low scoring uh, affair between uh, those two teams. So we've seen now, you know, they've won the cup. That mm-hmm. has happened that we, we can confirm that this, this did in fact happen. This is obviously going to have impacts on the players going beyond just this season, though. You know, you win the Calder Cup and it's not like it just stops and the experiences all fade away in the past. So what sort of lessons do you expect players like, you know, say Jack Drury, who's now building on a second championship season in a row, or even a guy like Noel Goonler? This is his first, you know, venture into North America. He gets that experience, wins the Calder Cup. You know, how can these players take that forward? Well, I, I think it's going to make the Wolves team so much better heading into this season. Vasily Panamarov is a guy that we knew nothing about. Uh, and he comes in at the end of the year and he gets ahead of a couple guys uh, because he's a Carolina Hurricanes prospect and they want to see how he plays. And the more he plays, the more minutes he gets, the more minutes he gets, you're like, wow, he's not maybe going to wow you in the American Hockey League right off the bat coming over as a 20-year-old, but my goodness, does he do a a lot of things. And I think he played in the most competitive American Hockey League version that you will see. And now next year, I think it's going to set him up to have, if he's with the Wolves, so much more success. He's going to be a a key player. He probably went from the fourth line center because of depth with the Wolves uh, during the Calder Cup run. He'll probably be the second first line center to to start the year. They're awfully thin right now if Jack Curry makes the NHL at the center position. But he has a taste now and has the confidence because in, the more he played, the better and better he looked in the American Hockey League. And I love the fact this guy, he's a left-hander, and when the face-off's on the right dot, he switches his stick over and takes face-offs on the right as a right-hander, it, he just, he's got a high hockey IQ and he works his tail off. It was uh, fun to see him succeed. You mentioned Noel Gunler. Uh, he got into the lineup early on, got a, a, a lot of ice time. And then as the playoffs wore on, he was a little bit in and out of the lineup, but that's going to set him up next year. You know, watching him in practice, boy, does he have a great shot. And <laughs> I think he, he is going to be, a player that now takes this little taste that he got at the, at the end of last year and make his rookie year in North America so much more of an easy transition. And I just go back to, to last year and the year before the pandemic season where the American Hockey League was not the American Hockey League that we were used to seeing. You had a lot of guys that could have been playing in the OHL, Western Hockey League that were playing there. Seth Jarvis was a man amongst boys in the few weeks that he was with the Wolves. But you saw guys like David Cotton and Jamison Reese have really good seasons with the Wolves. And then this year's American Hockey League rolled around. It wasn't as easy as that first year for them. And it was eye-opening. So I think for Noel Gundler, seeing what the real American Hockey League was the last two months of the season is going to help him out. You know, Jamison Reese was a key cog on that line with Ponomarov and Gundler down the stretch for the Wolves. And they sometimes rotated in. Stelio Mateos on that wing. And so all those guys, those are young prospects that still have a bright future for the Hurricanes that got extra ice time and really kind of salvaged the season. Poor Jamison Reese, he was having a great camp, gets hurt, 
And then it really took him a couple months to get up to speed with the Wolves. And then he got that added two months added to the season where he's got to feel awfully good going back into training camp this year. Yeah. And I was going to say Reese, you know, his first half of the season was, you know, pretty rocky, but then pretty much as soon as the second half hits, I mean, you can almost physically see the switch flip in his game to where he is in absolute pain to play against. And then I think also getting somebody who kind of fills the same mold in Panamaryov who can, you know, play on the forecheck and get under your skin, getting even Ivan Ladnia did a really good job of that mm-hmm. as well. Stelio Mateos. Um, the more I think about it, the more I think this Wolves team is going to just be a really frustrating team to play against once again, just because of how many gritty feisty players they have. It, yeah. And you know, it's not a, you know, you get on top of guys and they're a little bit smaller, so you can't, uh, maybe be as abusive in retaliatory uh, uh, instances with, with some of those guys too. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, Jamison had such a good first year, that pandemic season offensively, and then, you know, maybe it wasn't as physical. So I think it kind of took him a little bit this year to determine how he wanted to play. Because he told us the first year that if he was having a bad offensive game, he could always go out in the OHL and throw a big hit and turn the tide that way. And so I think it maybe took him just a little bit to figure out, but boy, uh, defensemen the second half of the year were well aware of Jamison Reese. And then we saw him score a couple of beautiful goals too. So, you know, with that physical play, it led to him creating offense again, uh, something that we saw during that pandemic season. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, the, the, the timing of everything too, because especially in last year's AHL, it's probably a bit of a slower league just because there weren't as many, of the top players there. A lot of them were on taxi squads or left for, you know, better deals out in Europe. And so there's more time to make decisions. Now this year, the pace of the AHL has increased or, you know, this past season, the pace has increased, the physicality's increased. So there's a lot less time to make decisions. And I think we saw that, especially with Reese and I'd even argue, you know, perfect example would be David Cotton this past year too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see what happens with David Cotton. He kind of ended up being the odd man out, and that was something that Ryan Rosowski and the coaching staff kind of tried to warn players that the Carolina Hurricanes have a deep system, and there's guys that come the end of the year are going to be turning pro that the organization is very high on. So you have to kind of earn your keep and get your spot right now because there are guys that are going to be coming for people's jobs. and. And we're seeing that now. There's going to be a fresh wave of, of prospects that, you know, I know talking with, you know, some of the development coaches and, and stuff like that, that they're very high on. So it, it should be another exciting season. And, and uh, you know, you look for, for the guys that were here last year to take that next step now. I'm really hoping to see some of these guys. Like Alexander Passion is going to be a treat for you guys to watch this year. Um, yeah, and – and I think some of those guys, like at one point, they were expecting to get like 10 guys coming over. But I think yeah. because of COVID and some of the visa issues and the stuff that was going on with the Ukraine and Russia, it was tough to get all those guys over. So they didn't end up. But at one time, I believe they were expecting 10 prospects to join the team uh, at the end of their season. Which, I mean, that would have been wonderful for me as a yeah, guy yeah. that covers all these guys. But, you know realistically you don't have the space to to get all these guys so it is so important to keep trying to find a way to elevate and I think 
especially in the case of Panamarev, who obviously did not have a guaranteed spot when he came in here. The fact that he got going right from the right off the rip, mm-hmm. basically not didn't it didn't secure his spot, but it made it a lot easier for you know the Kane's development staff and Ryan Morsofsky to justify keeping him in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. So we're speak or no, I don't want to get to that yet. I do want to talk about, you know, if you've got like a couple favorite moments from this past year. Obviously, putting you on the spot. Yeah, I mean, nothing will eclipse game five of the Calder Cup finals and them actually getting the job done rather quickly, maybe quicker than, you know, everyone expected going into Uh, the Calder Cup Finals, especially losing game number one. So it was just nice to see a team that won the the President's Trophy as the best regular season also continue that momentum all the way through. And just the buy-in that everyone had. Like, it was a very close team. Everyone got along with the coaching staff, and and the players just kind of all bought into the system. And I think that's the beauty. You know, Rob Brendamore sets the tone for how this organization plays. And it's, I don't want to say it's easy. It has its challenges, but Ryan Rusofsky could say like, if you're going to play in the NHL, this is how you have to play it. So it made his instructions, you know, rather easy. The Wolves hardly ever lost back-to-back games. I don't think they lost back-to-back games in regulation all season long, which is remarkable. But every time that there was adversity, Ryan could always say, hey, maybe we didn't work as hard or maybe we didn't do this. In the next game, they responded and got back into the win column. So I think as I look at the season as a whole, normally you see a rough patch where teams go like a month really floundering. And the remarkable thing, I think there was a a slight stretch where the Wolves were a game below 500 over 11 games stretch. And by a game below 500, I think they maybe went four, five, one and one. I mean, that's not bad. That, that That's pretty impressive. So that stands out. And, you know, it's been said a lot that the players, you know, if you're reading some of this coverage, will go back to that Black Friday game. They were down 3 nothing in Grand Rapids mm-hmm. the day after Thanksgiving. And they won that game 5-3 in regulation. And they rattled off uh, 12 straight wins after that. Uh, then they had a COVID pause for three weeks or two weeks that kept them off the ice. And that streak was snapped in the first game 8 nothing in a loss <laughs> after being off for a couple of weeks over the holiday break, but then they rattled off three more wins and, and just kind of kept going. And that's the remarkable thing about this team. They never really stumbled all year long. Yeah. And I mean, I know Canes fans are obviously going to remember Pyotr Kochekov's North American debut with fondness going to chirp the Iowa bench. I mean, there's like three or four Kochekov moments. That's the crazy thing. I, I know. Being, he almost being, scored into an empty net too in a playoff game. I was I was hoping that I'm hoping that when he gets there to the NHL that he can do that because for the longest time I was hoping for Alex Nedeljkovich to do the same because he scored one at the ECHL and yeah. AHL level. I it's such an exciting time and the Wolves are going to keep being a great team. Um, I do want to talk about you know. The rumor is that it obviously hasn't been confirmed by the team yet, but the reports are that Ryan Warsawski is going to be joining David Quinn's staff um, in San Jose, which is a huge and quite frankly, well-deserved promotion for him. Um, but that obviously leaves the Wolves with 
a pretty big hole to fill in the coaching staff. So if the reports are true, you know, who's going to be there to step up in coaching? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And to echo your thoughts, I, I mean, Ryan has accomplished a lot in a rather short time in the American Hockey League. He joined uh, Charlotte as an assistant coach with Mike Bellucci. They immediately won a championship. He inherited the job when, when Mike, uh, much like uh, the report is that Ryan is rewarded by winning a championship and getting an opportunity as an NHL assistant. So I don't know. Patrick Dwyer is a good young up-and-coming coach. If you ever ask Ryan Rosowski about Patrick Dwyer, he gets emotional talking about how valuable Patrick Dwyer is. Uh, same could be said about Bob Nardella, who's been a long time Wolves assistant coach. Uh, the chemistry that the three of them had was outstanding. I don't profess to know at this time if either one of them has aspirations of being a head coach or even how that would work. But certainly with Ryan inheriting the job with you know a short resume in the American Hockey League, he did a great job. His Charlotte team, when the, the season got ended that co- the first COVID year, was starting to come along. Then the, the first year with the Wolves, that they won the division with a 700 winning percentage. Now, granted, they had a very stacked team. But then this year, he wins the regular season and a Calder Cup title. So I don't think Ryan has much left to accomplish on the coaching side of things in the American Hockey League. It maybe depends you know, I know he wants to be a head coach. So what path is easier to become an NHL head coach, continuing to be a head coach in the American Hockey League or being an assistant in, in the NHL? And that's, you know, something that Ryan is going to have to decide what's best for his career. But it, it, if he if the reports are true, then it leaves a big hole. He was tremendous to work with from my standpoint, always available, always gave you a, a, an honest answer, uh, very inclusive with the team had a way of talking with players directly and firmly, but also being a player's coach, which that is kind of that you're seeing a lot of successful coaches now with, with that approach, but he was able to, to get guys to buy in, but also really kind of have the respect in the locker room too, which is, is easier said than done. Yeah. And talking with players, like, you know, Stephen Lawrence, who actually just got traded to San Jose uh, in that same deal that we were talking about earlier. He, he, he mentioned that, you know, when he was playing for Ryan Warsawski, he said, he's the coach that believed in me and that gave me the opportunity. He said, you know, that that year coming off the Calder Cup championship, we were, you know, I had never made it a full year in the AHL, but he, he believed in me. He gave me the minutes and I, I ran with it. And he said, yep probably wouldn't be an NHL player if he didn't push me, but also give me that belief. So the players buy into his system and they love playing for him. Cause even though he's a tough coach, you know, with high expectations, he seems like he can get the most out of his players. It's, it's truly incredible to watch. Yeah. And I mean, I think if you were to even ask guys that weren't playing regularly down the stretch, they would still think, and speak very highly of Ryan Rosowski. And, and that's tough to do. It, you know, it, he, he plays pickup hockey uh, after the morning skate with the guys that aren't playing. So he's accessible. And I think that probably helps a, a little bit too, that, you know, he's, 
he's not hiding in the coach's room when, you know, guys are out of the lineup. He is there, you know, playing shinny hockey with them and they're playing competitive games and he wants to win those games. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I think that's the one thing that t- today's player really appreciates is just having the opportunity to know what's going on, communicating with that. And, and maybe, you know, you hear stories about guys used to post the lineup and they would show up for the game and find out that they weren't in the lineup. That's the first that they heard of it. Right. You know, so, and I think that's, you know, a good thing when, when you're playing in the uh, extra game after the morning skate, you know, you're not in the lineup and the coach is right there. So if you have an issue with it, you can talk to him. And it's, it's interesting because I mean, he, he lived this life not that long ago. He, he played, you know, a level of pro hockey was more than likely a healthy scratch. And yet he, he, so he knows what it's like to be in these players shoes because I mean, He's what, not even 35 now, right? Yeah, it's 34, 35. Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, he's, I know he's he doesn't very like young by, yeah, a, I, by I think a he's head a little, coach's standards. Yeah, I think he's a little tired of that headline of being the young head coach. He just wants to be a successful head coach right now. So Sure, but I, the, the yeah, point yeah. I bring up with this is he, he's really not that far removed from his own hockey playing days. No, for sure. He's, he's won a, he's won two Calder cups. One as a head coach, one as an assistant. He won a Kelly cup in the ECHL. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, for as young as he is to have three championships under his belt is. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. So the last thing I've got for you is um, obviously we've kind of talked about it already. This is a very different Wolves team this year. For us Hurricanes fans, it's it's very similar to like we were saying the end of the Calder Cup run in 2019. All of the veterans, including Andrew Podorowski, left, mm-hmm. and it's very much the youth movement. But so this year, you know, you have some veterans like uh, I mean Stelio Matheos, while he didn't play in every game, has now won two Calder Cups. You've got guys brought in like Mackenzie McGeeker and William Laguson, players like that. So who who do you expect to step up and be a true leader in this locker room? I, I wish I could give you an answer of uh, on that because I, I just don't know. I don't know enough about this group. Uh, Mackenzie McEachern actually played for the Wolves a year, uh, few years ago when he was first starting with St. Louis and the Wolves. Were, so he's a great guy. Uh, he had a, he was a key. Uh, piece of that Springfield team they called the, his line the identity line of of what the and to get them to where they got they scored uh, almost all their big goals in the prior series against Laval so he's a good hockey player I will say the same thing going you know we knew who Andrew Powerowski was because he was the MVP when the Wolves lost to to Charlotte but Stefan Nason had a couple 20 goal seasons he had never scored 40 goals in a year. Uh, CJ Smith had, you know, some decent numbers with the Rochester Americans, but not the se- season that he had, you know, before he got hurt at times he was top five in AHL scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll probably be a surprise from the hurricanes camp because the hurricanes are all in. So maybe you get a veteran player that you're not expecting to get right now. It worked out last year, you know, when the, they got Josh Levo. So, I don't know enough about these guys, but the same thing happened last year. Like there was a lot of like, huh, who are these veteran guys? I don't know much about them outside of Podorowski or even like a Jalen Chatfield. Like 
he came over from the Vancouver Canucks. They didn't qualify him. Like watching Jalen Chatfield, how did how did he not get qualified? He's a heck exactly. of a hockey player. So uh, that that's the kind of beauty of the American Hockey League. It's a you know you look at all these player signings right now, and there's a couple teams on paper in the Wolves division. Like you look at Rockford and Milwaukee, they say, like, "Wow, they're going to have really good teams." But uh, it it really kind of comes down to coaching and, and and buying in, and you know the Wolves. Are on a run right now for the, you know, in my time here, they've won eight division championships and, and had some pretty good playoff success. So, you know, the Hurricanes uh, have won the last two Calder Cup championships with their affiliates. So I, I think it's going to be a good season. It's just a lot of question marks that, 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 I, <laughs> that I had kind of going into the last year. Right. And, you know, we'll never know. Like you said, there could be a veteran surprise at the end of the year. And the Hurricanes also might not be done. They only have 40 out of 50 contracts right now. They could easily add another couple defensemen. Right now, Chicago has zero right-handed defensemen. Isn't that surprising? It is is hilarious because the Hurricanes currently have eight. Yeah. (laughs) It's... It's insane. But Jason, thank you so much for coming on here. I know you guys have uh, some dinner plans, so I'll let you get to that. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck uh, for this next year. Can't wait to listen to you all on the broadcast. Looking forward to it. Matt, thanks for all the uh, research. You're a a go-to tool for some of these players that will be joining the the Wolves, and now you're adding video breakdown and stuff. I mean, you're getting (laughs) awfully fancy there. So now that now that it's now that I have access to it, it's it's a lot it's a lot easier to to create uh, content for people. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's it's good to know a little bit about guys before they get to Chicago. So I appreciate all your work, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you uh, down the road again. All right, folks, I'm back. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I just did. Shout out to Matt again for holding down the fort this week with me incapacitated and Alex working. Um, And again, huge shout out to Jason Shaver for taking the time to come and talk to us again. It's always a lot of fun to get his insights. Obviously, you know, we try to keep up with the AHL team and minors in general a lot, Matt especially. But it's good to get another perspective of a guy that watches them literally every night. You know, somebody that's got a little bit of access and, and hear some of those same sentiments echoed, I suppose. But anyway, that's about all we got for you this week. I do apologize for the late podcast this week. It is entirely my fault. You can direct your complaints to my intern on Twitter. His ad is at Future Canes. Any and all hate mail should be directed there. He will get back to you in a timely fashion. And I can personally guarantee he will answer every single tweet. So go send your complaints feedback, anything you need right there at Future Canes. We will talk to you in just a few days. And as always, it's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.